welcome to the Church at UH weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information about the church, please visit churchatuh.org. If you have your Bible, you can meet me in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And I'll begin in verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We're living in a time today where everyone is fighting for freedom. Men are fighting for the freedom to lead. Women are fighting for the freedom of equal pay in the workforce and to be treated with dignity and respect. College students all over the country are fighting for freedom against burdensome student loan debt. Parents are fighting for freedom to get their kids out of their house. Teenagers are fighting for the freedom to get out of their parents' house. It seems like everybody is fighting for freedom. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is freedom? What is freedom? Some would say freedom is the ability to do whatever, say whatever, whenever you want. A politician may say freedom is the ability to vote for whoever you want, as long as it's for that particular person, of course, and his party. Philly rapper Meek Mill would say free is the ability to be who you want to be. But 
the question is, with all these different definitions of freedom, how do we know what real freedom is? Well, it would only make sense that we go to the source and the giver of freedom himself, God. In the time that we have today in our Gospel of Luke, chapter 7 through 36, verse, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, I want to talk to you from the topic of gospel freedom. And the idea is this, that gospel freedom is the ability to love like God once you understand you've been forgiven by God. That gospel freedom is the ability to love like God once you understand that you've been forgiven by God. And this passage that I just read in the New Testament book of Luke, Luke, he writes the book of Acts, which he focuses on the, new, the early church and all that they did and the spirit of God empowering them for their mission. But in this gospel of Luke, he focuses on all that Jesus said and did while he was on earth. And one of the things that Jesus said and did often was he would engage and speak to and love those who are on the margins of society. So in our time that we have together today, we'll see that gospel freedom begins in our passage with the love of a sinner and the forgiveness of a savior. In verse 36, we see that a Pharisee invites Jesus into his home. Now, this is a little bit interesting because Pharisees, they didn't like Jesus particularly all that much. They were the religious group that were really strict on their rules and on their traditions that went beyond the Bible itself or beyond their Old Testament. So they didn't like Jesus. They often would try to trip up Jesus and what he would say. Um, they would see Jesus hanging with those on the margins and those, on the, those are on the outskirts, the outcasts of society. And they would see Jesus eating with them and drinking with them. And they would wonder, why is he eating with them? They would give him names like sinner and tax collector. Why would he be eating with those kind of people? He's a drunkard and a glutton, they would call him, because of the people that he was associating himself with. These people, the Pharisees, were ultimately the people who would play an instrumental role in his death. So it would be curious to wonder why one would invite Jesus into his home. We don't know, but because Jesus is unlike the Pharisees, because he doesn't play favorites, he not only spends time with sinners and tax collectors, but he also accepts invitations from Pharisees. So Jesus enters the home of this Pharisee. We don't know why he was invited, but he was invited and he comes. And we're told in verse 37, it says, behold, something that you really need to pay attention to, something out of the ordinary happens. A woman of the city, it says, comes in, a sinner. Now, when Luke says a woman of the city, a sinner comes in, he's not really saying, you know, a woman from Midtown came into the house or a woman from downtown came into the home. Though we don't see it here explicitly throughout history and tradition, it's often assumed that this description of this woman meant that she was a woman of the street, that she was a harlot, that she was a prostitute. Now, that, that's an interesting thing because you would wonder, why would somebody like this who has been designated as a sinner, of all the places that she would go to, why would she go to the house of a Pharisee? She would know that when she goes there, she would be judged, she would be looked down upon, this isn't a place where she would be accepted. And as a matter of fact, unlike Jesus, she wasn't invited. So you would have to wonder, why would she come to a place like this, knowing that all eyes would be on her, knowing the ridicule, knowing that people would be talking about her? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. 
The only reason why she's there is because Jesus was there. We don't know when this woman converted. We're not really sure. Maybe she was in the crowds before they saw Jesus doing miracles. We're not really sure, but there was something about the person that was there, Jesus himself, that drew her. It's almost like she was attracted to him. When she heard that he was there, she wanted to go to him. Now, this is encouraging for me, and I hope it's encouraging for you as well, that someone with a checkered past, someone with a history that wasn't too pleasant, someone who probably had a lot of sexual promiscuity, found a safe place and a refuge with Jesus. See, oftentimes we may feel like because of our history and because of our past, because of what we've done, we would rather run away from God, away from God's people, away from God's church. But this woman in Luke's gospel encourages us and tells us that regardless of what you've done, what your history is, what people may know you for, it says that she was known as a sinner. That we don't... For this Pharisee here, later on, we find out his name is Simon, but this woman, we have no idea what her name is. All we know is what she's labeled at by the community. And yet, she didn't allow the identity of other people, that what they placed on her, to shackle her and to keep her away. She knew that the man that was in the home, that the rabbi that was invited there, that he would love her, knowing who she was, and treat her with dignity, with respect, and with care. We see two polarizing pictures here. We see the religious person and the Pharisee, and we see ultimately a rebellious person. We see the sinner. Both are in the house, and what happens next is pretty amazing. We're told that the woman has an alabaster flask, which basically is a flask of stone that had ointment in it, usually perfume. And when she gets in there, when she learns that Jesus is reclining at table now, you have to picture what was going on here. You know, usually if you come to my house for dinner, there's a table, we have chairs, and we sit, and my wife uh, will be passing out meals, and my kids will be throwing the meals all over the place. That's not what was going on here. When they said they're reclining at table, usually they're, they're literally sitting on the floor, leaning on their left side, using their right hand to eat. So Jesus' feet would have been, and all the feet of the men around the table would have been out, out um, to the side of the table. This woman comes up to Jesus. She stands behind him, and she just begins weeping. And it's not just like she drips one or two tears says that she wet his feet with this. This was an overflow, an avalanche of tears. Why is she crying? Well, the text doesn't tell us explicitly, but knowing who she is, knowing possibly what she's done in her history, knowing what God has done for her, when she hears that Jesus is in there, she wasn't planning on just unloading with tears. We knew she planned on giving the alabaster flask because she brought that with her. Maybe she was so overcome by emotion, knowing that she's been loved, knowing that she's been forgiving, knowing who Jesus is, that she couldn't help herself and the tears were just coming, not just one or two, but they literally wet his feet. She's beside herself. I mean, all eyes are on her now. And typically, you know, when 
of somebody's feet is just drenched with tears. You want to grab a towel. You want to grab a paper towel in our day, but in their day, grab a towel and wipe off the feet. But she doesn't have a towel, so she uses her hair. It says that she lets her hair down, which in that culture in that time would have been scandalous. Because the only time a woman lets down her hair in public was never. She let it down for her husband the night before, during the wedding ceremony, she would let it down with her husband, and after that, she would let up her hair, never to let it down again in public, because that was only for her and her husband. That was show the time of intimacy. It's interesting. This woman, she's not really concerned about the cultural protocols. She's overwhelmed by Jesus, and she lets down her hair, and she begins wiping off the tears with her hair. She kisses his feet. And then she pours the ointment from the alabaster flask on Jesus' feet. This, in one word, is a picture of love. It's a picture of outrageous love. I mean, she, she's broken. A servant would be the one that comes. If you were coming into a rabbi's home, into a Jewish person's home in that day, you'd be greeted with a kiss on both sides of your cheek, presumably by the owner of the home. You would be then greeted by the owner of the home, either himself or him getting one of his servants to wipe your feet and to wash his feet. You would think about Jesus in John 13 as he washes his disciples' feet, a show of being, somebody being a servant. John, or Peter says, no, 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 don't wipe my feet. You that's, that's for servants to do. That's not, you're not the servant. I'm the servant. Let me wipe your feet. But Jesus says, no. Like, I have to show you the way of gospel leadership. The way of gospel leadership isn't just standing on high and telling the people what to do. It's coming low and it's coming beneath them and showing them, I'm walking the road you're walking. This woman says, I'm a servant. You are my master. And then in a show of generosity, she pours the ointment on his feet. This is... Uh, this is an amazing display of love. She knows that she's in a place that the people there are judging her. They're all looking at her. Why are you here, first of all? You weren't invited. And then you're breaking all of our cultural protocols and all of our social norms. You're a woman of the city. You're a sinner. This is a dinner for distinguished religious people, not for people like you. And it's interesting that you would expect Jesus to say, hey, okay, that's enough. Get out of here. Like, they're watching. This isn't my house. Like, I'm, if, if, maybe if this was my party, if this was my house, you could do whatever you want. But this isn't my house. Like, I just, I, I got invited here. I don't want to get kicked out. He doesn't do any of that. Now, one of the things about religious people that you have to understand is that Oftentimes, religious people think highly of themselves but lowly of other people. They often think that they're better than others because they live to their own moral code and moral standing, and they love keeping the rules, and when you break the rules, they're not happy. Jesus understands that, so he doesn't do anything. He says this woman has went through great lengths to show her love, and then the Pharisee says this. In verse 39, he says, now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him. For, here it is again, she is a sinner. Now, it's interesting. The Pharisee says, okay, I invited Jesus into my home because I've heard the scuttlebutt. 
I've heard for one, from one person or another, he's, he's a healer, he is a great prophet. Um, I've heard a lot of great things about him. So maybe I, I want to see this for myself. And then he sees this interaction with the woman in Jesus. And, she said, he, and Simon the Pharisee says to himself, no, he's not who I think he is. There is no way on earth that he could be who he says he is because of who's touching him. Doesn't he know who this woman is? See, you have to understand from Simon's mind, he lives in a world where you don't touch anything that's unclean. Clearly this woman, as we've seen, Luke tells us twice, she's labeled as a sinner. So we don't know what her past was, but we know it wasn't good. And we know that people didn't want to associate themselves with her. And so this religious person, this Pharisee says, I'm not trying to get with her either. Like I wouldn't, if this was me, I wouldn't even let her come near me. If, if I'm a Pharisee understanding this and I invite Jesus into my home and he's just allowing her to cry on her, he's allowing her to use her hair to wipe her feet, clearly Jesus doesn't know who this woman is so he can't be a prophet. He can't be who he says he is. But the reality is Jesus isn't just a great prophet he's God himself. Jesus knows exactly who this woman is. He knows exactly what she's been through. He knows her past. He knows the men that she's been with. And he knows all of her secrets. And he doesn't shun her away. Religious people think there's two types of people in this world. People who keep the rules and people who break them. Jesus says, no, there's two types of people in this world is forgiven sinners and unforgiven sinners. This woman understands it's only by the mercy of God that I am who I am. The world has shunned me. Everyone else has pushed me aside. But Jesus has welcomed me. This, as I've been reading this passage, it's been convicting me because it, it forces me to ask the question in my own life, do I treat people like this? Do I treat people who don't look like me? Do I treat people who don't talk like me? Do I treat people who aren't in my circle? Do I treat people who the world will look at as forgotten? Do I treat them with dignity and with respect? And with, do I pursue them? Do I love them? And the question that Luke is asking us, we have to ask ourselves, how do we treat those who are on the outskirts of society? How do we treat those that the rest of the world would say, no, we don't want to have anything to do with them? Do we just keep driving by them, waving, but not loving them, not coming too close where we can actually... See, that's the thing about serving people that we feel like are, quote-unquote, less privileged. We typically like to serve them from a distance where it's comfortable for us. Like, I'll send my money, um, I'll pray, I'll do whatever I need to do from a distance so that I don't have to get my hands dirty. That's not the way Jesus does ministry. Jesus says, I'm coming up close. I want your tears on me. I want your pain on me. I want your hurt on me. I want to enter into your world, enter into your struggle. I want to enter into your pain. How do you deal with those who may be difficult to love, how do you deal with those who you would rather not spend time with, that you yourself may feel like, no, I, I just don't have the time, the effort, or the energy 
What will people think about me if they see me with this person? If I post this picture with me and this person on my Instagram account, will, will, will people think that like we're actually friends? Will people think that I'm spending my time with them? Clearly, Jesus doesn't really care what people think because he only cares about one thing, forgiving sinners and loving those that the world hates. So because Jesus knows, okay, the Pharisee, this Simon, he doesn't really get it. He says, okay, let me explain it to you. So not only have we seen the love of a sinner, now we'll see the forgiveness of a Savior. He says in verse 40, and Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, when Jesus says he has something to say to you, that means it's important, right? That means we need to listen up. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. So Jesus gives him a parable, something that he did often. And it's interesting, he says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Jesus gives him, Jesus is a master storyteller, right? The greatest storyteller ever. He uses parables as a way to hide things and conceal things, but in it is filled with truth. So he says, all right, since you didn't get what just happened here in your house, let me tell you a story. He says there's two debtors, right, and one money lender, one creditor. The, the money lender realizes that both creditors, one, one, both debtors, one owed 500 denarii, which a denarii was about a day's wage. So he basically owed him 500 days wages, almost two years wage worth. The other guy, 50 denarii, which was about 50 days wage, both of them couldn't pay. So in an act of grace and mercy and kindness, the money lender says, it's been forgiven. I've canceled your debt for both of you. Then Jesus asked Simon, okay, if you seeing what just happened, who would you say loved that moneylender more? And Simon says, well, I suppose the guy who owed more. Now it's like, you suppose? Like, seriously? This guy, so Jesus saying, imagine this. You went to U of H, you graduated from the Cullen College of Engineering, and you graduated with 100K in debt, right? $100,000 in debt. Your friend graduated from the Barrow School of Business with like 10 Gs, 10 grand of debt. You both, you and your friend, you're both on graduation day. Um, Dr. Couture is up there and she, I think she's still the president of the university. Um, that would have been really awkward. Um, she's, she's up there and you know, she says, um, for the graduating class of 2019, all of your debt that you owe Sally May has been forgiven and everybody's going crazy. Now, your friend may feel like, oh my goodness, best day ever, you know, she's posting stuff, you know, best life ever, like all my debt is paid for, I graduated and I'm walking out, no debt, great. You, on the other hand, you're, you're not only ecstatic, you, you're probably gonna fall to your knees in tears, you're probably gonna be humble, you're, pro you're gonna be telling everybody, why? Because you, your friend owed 10 grand, a lot, but it's doable. You owed 100K. You're thinking, how's that even going to work? Like, what does the next 10, 15 years of my life look like? You're trying to back calculate. You're trying to look at the interest, look at the principal. You're doing all this stuff, and then you realize it's forgiven. You're, you're going to be beyond happy. You're going to be jumping for joy. You're going to tell everyone why, because you know you owed way more than you could ever pay. Jesus is trying to tell Simon, listen, I came into your house like, the custom is that you were supposed to come and give me a kiss on both sides of the cheek as you, as you embraced me. You didn't do that. This woman came in, and she kissed my feet. 
Like, I come into your house, and you don't have any servants, nobody, you nor your servants, coming and washing my feet. This woman comes into a house that's not her own, and she's pouring her tears down on my feet. I come into your house, and yet this woman is showing me more hospitality than you are. It's an indictment on Simon. What Basically, Jesus is saying, Simon, she's treating me as a better guest than you are in your own home. Now, that for Simon, should, it, it should open up his eyes. He's like, I, I'm treating Jesus the way that the rest of the world treats this woman. Jesus doesn't even get the courtesy of, of, of a common greeting. He doesn't get the courtesy of his feet being washed. He doesn't get any of that, but this woman does it for him. But what Jesus is really trying to get at is a deeper point. What he's saying to Simon is, Simon, you and this woman both have a debt you can't pay. Yes, hers may be more. It may be like 500, but yours is 50. The reality is neither one of you can pay your debt. And yet I, as the money lender, I, as the creditor, I have forgiven your debt. See, the reason why this woman is acting the way she is is because she understood that she's been forgiven much. The reason why you're acting the way you're acting is because you don't really realize that you've been forgiven. This is mind-boggling. He says that he who is forgiven, but she understands that, listen, I, I know who I am. Everybody knows who I am. Like, they, twice they've called her a sinner. There's, there's no guessing who this woman is or what her past is, but yet Jesus says it's forgiven. But Simon, he doesn't quite get the reality of having your sins forgiven. The reality is this, like religious people oftentimes, they can't accept forgiveness because it seems like it's not on their terms, right? We think about the story of the prodigal son. Get, goes out, the son goes out, reckless living, spends all the father's money, and he comes back, and the father sees him from a distance after like blowing all the money. Father sees him from distance, runs to him, embraces him, hugs him. And the, the prodigal son is rehearsing his speech. And the father says, man, forget the speech. You're home. Like you're home. And he tells the servants, hey, bring out the food. Bring out the music. Bring out the drinks. Our son is back. The older brother, he's like in another room. He comes back. He hears all this celebration. He's like, yo, what's going on? Like, you know, I've been here working. Um, I hear this music. And one of the servants says, well, your brother that was gone is back. But the older brother doesn't say, finally, yes, let me go love him and embrace him and hug him too. No, what does he say? He goes to the father and says, you've never done any of this for me. I didn't go off running and squandering all the money with prostitutes and I didn't do any of that. I've been here, I've been working. And Jesus in that story says to the people, says, well, you've been with me the whole time. Now, we don't know how that story ends because it, it's left on a cliffhanger for the Pharisees who he was talking to. Similar in this story. Jesus saying to Simon, listen, the issue that you have is the same issue that she has. You have a sin debt that you can't pay. She understands that there's no way I will ever be able to pay this. There's not enough good deeds I can do. There's not enough trying to get my life right. I can't do anything to earn a better life. I can't do anything to get into God's good graces to be accepted by God. And Jesus is saying, I've already done it. The reason why she can receive this love is because she understands 
that Jesus, who is the moneylender in the story on the cross, was also the debtor. That he says, I am the one who will take your place on the cross. I will be treated as if I had the debt. You are the servant. I am the master, but yet I will be treated as a servant so you can be free. It's a remarkable show of humility. It's a remarkable show of grace. It says that I'll be punished on the cross so that those who trust in me will never have to be punished again. It's liberation. It's freedom. The freedom to know that all that you've done, past, present, and future, has been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Now, the interesting thing about this passage is that he says in verse 46, after telling Peter, or telling Simon, excuse me, all that he didn't do, right? He says, do you see this woman? It's interesting. In verse 44, he says, he turned toward the woman, but he was still talking to Simon. So let's, the woman is standing here. He's talking to the woman, looking at the woman, excuse me, yet talking to Simon. And he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loves much. Notice Jesus doesn't, it's not like Jesus doesn't act like she actually did a lot of dirt. He says her sins, which are many. He understands that she has a lot of baggage, that she comes with a lot of history, but he has a lot of forgiveness. That the level of the sin that she brings, he has more forgiveness to cover it. And and, and when we read this passage, oftentimes we can think, well, was it because she did all that stuff at the beginning? Is that why he accepted her? Is that why he forgave her? He says, for she loved much, but he who was forgiven much or excuse me, for he who is forgiven little loves little. But then at the end, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It wasn't her tears. It wasn't her kiss. It wasn't um, the ointment. It was her faith. See, often, if we're not careful, we can read this and think, oh, the way that God forgives me is by what I do for him. No, the way that God forgives you is by what Jesus did for you. He was punished he was beaten, he was crucified, that, that your payment, the payment for your sin was on Calvary's hill. And what's crazy is that not only does Jesus go to the cross and die, but the way, the way that we know that God accepted that payment, the way that we know the check clear, the way that we know that, you know, he's not calling you saying, hey, you still owe some interest, is the resurrection. Christ rises victoriously from the grave three days later, God declaring to the world, it is finished. It was finished on Friday, but forgiveness now is offered to all. The debt has been paid. This is remarkable. Now, it would be a great place to end, but it's not where the story ends. The thing you have to remember when you've been forgiven by God is to remember it was God who forgave you. Because oftentimes as you run in different circles and you're around different people, they may say, wait a minute, I don't believe it. 
you, you can be a Christian. Like, I, I know you. We grew up together. We went to school together. Like, I've seen your Instagram story account. Like, it's crazy. Remember, the source of your forgiveness doesn't come from man. It comes from God himself. Because when people will come around you and they'll want to discourage you in your faith, remember the one who's given you the promise of forgiveness. It's exactly what happens here. As soon as Jesus forgives her, he tells her again. He looks at her this time and says to her, you are, in case, woman, you didn't get it. In case, as I was trying to make a point to Simon, you were just in a daze because you're just so overwhelmed by what happened. Let me tell you straight up to your face, you are forgiven. Now, the rest of the Pharisees, the religious people are there. Now, they're saying to themselves, oh, my goodness, who is this? They say at the table and they begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Literally, not even five seconds after Jesus has forgiven this woman, they're trying to discourage her faith by trying to malign the reputation of the one who forgave her. Are you serious? He's forgiven sins? Who are you? And Jesus, he doesn't even acknowledge them. Because the reality is religious people, they're always going to be there, right? They're, they're always going to be casting aspersions. They're always going to be trying to dissuade your faith. They're going to say, no, 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 no. You, you, God just can't, for, like, look at your past. Look at your history. You have to atone for some stuff. You can't just, just believe and re re repent and believe and just walk scot-free. Like, you owe us some things. You need to start tithing more. You need to start serving the poor more. You need to start going back into your neighbor. You need to start doing all these things. But remember, love is always a fruit of forgiveness. It's not the root of it. Love is the fruit of forgiveness. God doesn't forgive you because of how hard you love, because you can't love at all. First John says that he loved us first. We love because he first loved us. And so as these people are talking to themselves and they're saying, man, can you believe this guy? He's... Who does he think he is? Jesus doesn't respond to them. He looks to the woman and says, your faith is healed. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He says, you're free. Gospel freedom is knowing that you're forgiven by God so then you can go in love by God. Could you imagine being in that room? She's sitting there knowing people do not like her, knowing people would rather not have her there or come near her or touch her. Yet Jesus is there and Jesus sees everybody else. He looks at her. He says, you are forgiven. And as people are trying to discourage you, trying to discourage your faith, let me encourage you, go in peace. The same thing that Jesus says to this woman, he's saying to us this evening, you're forgiven. The penalty of sin has been taken care of by Christ on the cross. He's resurrected victoriously. Yes, you still battle in the flesh. Yes, there will be times when you say things you don't want to say, where you think things you wish you'd rather not, where you hurt people that love you the most. But remember that that's not who you are anymore. Jesus doesn't just forgive in part. He forgives in full. That we live a life of continual repentance where we're always turning back to the cross, where we're always running back to him, where we're always going for more mercy, more grace, because we need it. And we have the promise that he's given her here, go in peace. Gospel freedom is the ability to love like God because we've been forgiven by God. Father, I thank you for just this evening and for this time that we have. 
God, I pray, Lord, as we interact with people who are on the outskirts of society, on the margins of society, as that may be us ourselves in different circles, may we remember that we can run to Jesus, that he won't push us away, he won't shun us, he won't look at our past and say, I don't want nothing to do with you. He says, come and eat with me. Come and dine with me. Enjoy new life. Enjoy eternal life. Forever and ever. Amen.